When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. We're about to discuss Arsenal's 2-0 win over Sevilla in the Champions League. Last night, Wednesday night, it consolidates our position at the top of Group B and we're in good shape going into the uh, final two games of the group stage. We'll talk about the performance, the goals, some of the individuals and all the rest, and we might even score in a bit of laughing at Manchester United while we're at it too. But before we do that, let me just ask a very small favour from you all. Arsblog has been nominated for Club Podcast of the Year at the Football Supporters Association Awards 2023. So we need your votes. If you look in the show notes on your app right now, whatever podcast app you use, or if you want to go to arsblog.com and find the post with this particular podcast, you will find a link to surveymonkey.co.uk in which you can vote for Arsblog to be best club podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you could take just a minute or two to do that for us. And while you're there, there are other Arsenal nominees in different categories. You can choose Ian Wright for Pundit of the Year. And why wouldn't you choose Ian Wright for Pundit of the Year? Particularly when one of the other nominations is Gary Neville. We cannot lose. We cannot lose to Gary Neville, folks. Bukayo Saka has been nominated for Men's Player of the Year, so you can vote for him. And in the Women's Player of the Year, Frida Manum has been nominated too. So there's lots of Arsenal nominations and lots of Arsenal votes you can give. So please, just take a moment, go to your app, go to arsblog.com, find the link, and give your votes to Arsblog, to Ian Wright, to Bukayo Saka, and to Frida Manum. Right, thank you very much. I appreciate it in advance. Let's get on with the show, and with me to talk about the win over Sevilla and all the rest is Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hello. Andrew, how are we doing? We're doing all right. Both of us, I think we've got a little bit of a cold, a little bit of something going on this morning, but we're pushing through to to bring the hashtag content to the people who 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 want it. So, you know, uh, little medals for both of us, I think. I think it's a hashtag respect response because I saw a tweet going around that um, I think it was from a United fan that said, you have to be a real sick individual to see what's happening to Manchester United and enjoy it. Um, and I am sick, so <laughs> I'm just doing my bit. We're doing our bit, Andrew. We are, we are. We're both sick in the literal sense and sick in the sense that we're also going to laugh at Manchester United perhaps a little bit in this podcast. So yeah, bring it on, bring it on. Okay, let's start with with last night and a 2-0 win over Sevilla at the Emirates. Team news, there was no Eddie Nketiah, there was no... Um, Martin Odegaard, I suppose we more or less knew that they were going to be out based on what we heard pre-game. So the mm-hmm. decisions, I think, for Mikel Arteta were relatively simple. You know, you play Leandro Trossard up front, 
and you keep Kai Havertz in that midfield role, keep the same midfield that you uh, that you played against that you played against uh, Newcastle. I suppose the only thing that surprised me slightly about the lineup was the fact that Takahiro Tomiyasu started at left back. I thought this might well be a game where he, he brings Inchenko in because we're at home. I, I wonder, do you think that was because perhaps Mikel Arteta was expecting a bit more from Sevilla than perhaps we got? I would say so. I was quite surprised at how negative they were. And it wasn't even in the sense of, oh, we're going to buckle down and really try and stop Arsenal here. They were just nothing. Mm. They were nothing on the ball. There was no intention in any of their play, in any of their possession, you know, and it wasn't as if they were solid defensively. I mean, we were getting in behind with frequency in that first half. They just tried to kick us really. So maybe it was a, a little bit of that, maybe, you know, just to try and secure the the sides a bit more. I mean, Tommy Asu is a very capable defender. Um, so maybe it was just, uh, that was a thought in his mind, but also just to kind of reward good form, you know, I think yeah. Zinchenko, it's fair to say has, has not been at his best in recent weeks. So, you know, Tommy Asu has, has certainly earned his place in the team. And in the end, we kind of got the best of both worlds, but I wasn't overly surprised to see Tommy Asu there although I do understand your logic of maybe thinking if we are going to have the ball if we are going to need a bit of incision Zinchenko definitely fits the bill in that sense yeah I'm, I'm fine either way like the the guy who started on the right for Sevilla in the last game Luca Bacchio was yes. perhaps you know the sort of player that Tommy Asu might be better off dealing with mm -hmm. and I don't know if that played into into the manager's thinking pre-game you know the the discussion was could we get our wide men into the game in ways that we haven't necessarily done over the last couple of games? You know, where Sack and Martinelli um, haven't quite reached the heights that we know they can for various reasons, and we've explored those in, in previous podcasts. The answer in this game was a resounding, yes, we can get our wide men into this. I mean, the tone was set very, very early on. Martinelli picked up the ball, inside the first minute for first two minutes had a look at the fullback pushed it beyond him ran past him and won a corner and i think that set the tone for what was to come and maybe we can discuss martinelli in in a moment but from that corner from that initial corner we probably should have been ahead uh, a chance for for kai havertz at the back post and i was like oh Come on, man. This is your moment. That was it. You've got a lot of time to make up for it, of course. But, you know, it was uh, it was a header that lacked confidence and conviction, it would be fair to say. Yes, I agree. I think you've been very generous with probably should have been ahead. <laughs> um, I mean, that has to be a goal, surely. Um, I don't know. Maybe he closed his eyes. Maybe he didn't... He, he, did he expect the ball to, to come to him in that moment so free? Because I know Arsenal obviously tried a little um, group set piece thing where they were all together at the back post and then uh, ran to their respective positions. But did it really confuse Sevilla that much? I don't know. <laughs> but the, the, the marking was poor. It absolutely should have been a goal. Um, lack of confidence is right. Lack of conviction is is certainly right. And it's just it needed to go in, mm. you know, I just think, and look, maybe we'll come on to his performance a bit later, but he needs a goal. Um, and I think a goal, not a sympathy penalty, 
would just do him so much good. And that kind of felt like the moment where he could announce himself for us in a nice, easy way. It wasn't to be. Um, but yeah, I think he'll be a bit upset about that one looking at it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just looking at the live blog here. And in the 13th minute, I said of, of Martinelli, he's got this fullback on the ropes already. And that's probably a bit of an understatement because he absolutely terrorized Juan Lu. That guy's going to wake up. You know, the way say if you have a nightmare, there's like, oh, it's an evil witch or it's a dragon or it's a monster or is somebody dropping on you from the ceiling? And you're like, oh. that guy, when he went to sleep eventually last night, would have just had visions of Martinelli just running at him. Hundreds and hundreds of Martinelli's just going either side of him. Like there was what was so interesting <laughs> about this to me was that and I'm not being critical of Martinelli in any way was that there wasn't necessarily a great amount of variation in what he did. Because we know Martinelli can go both ways. That's one of his great skills. He can go outside the fullback or he can come back quickly inside the fullback, use his right foot, use his left foot uh, as well if he goes outside them. But he saw this guy and just knew every single time that he could push the ball and he could run past him. And it's it's not just a question of pace because you can have uh, a differential in pace between a fullback and a winger. But if you, as the fullback, know how to defend against that winger, you can use, uh, you can use that to your advantage. I think Juan Lu is still a relatively young player. This will have been a very significant part of his learning development because just time and time again it was like outside him outside him outside him and I don't know why somebody wasn't talking to him during the game somebody wasn't coaching him through these situations um but I've rarely rarely seen a full a fullback get absolutely taken to the cleaners in that way and the only criticism I would have if it's it's a mild mild criticism is that perhaps the final ball from Martinelli could have been a little more careful or deliberate a few times yeah i don't think that's an unfair observation i mean it was certainly a bloodbath i mean like you said juan lu's gonna have a, a new sleep paralysis demon now and that was in the form of gabriel martinelli it was so clear and easy that that was our way in you know and to be fair he's a young defender and I think he kind of came through the academy as a more winger uh, style player as opposed to a right back. I think that's been quite a recent change for him positionally mm. um, is to be kind of moved backwards. But oof, yeah, there was nothing so creative or technical about it. He's just head down. I know I've got the beating of you. Um, and they were maybe they were missing the experience of Sergio Ramos in that back line. Eric Lamella was certainly not going to come back and help. No. You know, so it was just every single time Martinelli was on the ball, head down, I'm taking you on and crossing. Look, it's not easy when there's six or seven players in the in the penalty box ready to head things away. When you're running at pace, it's not always easy to get your head up and look for a more refined cross. But I think having got him behind so many times, I would have at least been hoping for one or two to kind of generate chances. And there were some that were close. There was one that kind of went just in between Havertz and Trossard. Mm. There was another one to the back post that no one really followed in on. So look, it, these things could happen, but I was just happy to see Martinelli looking sharp and treat a 20-year-old 
right back how he deserved to be treated, which was full of disregard and I'm way better than you. Yeah, you know? he didn't he didn't restrict that to uh, to Juan Lu either. There were moments where he picked the ball up inside in that inside channel and he sort of went back, he went forward, he held on to it, he turned he turned in and out. I was I was fully expecting one of the Sevilla players to actually go right through the back of him because of the way he was like you say, not quite treating them with disdain, but it was like, you guys can't get fucking near me. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can do to get near me. And we'll come to how effective Martinelli can be inside and outside when we get on to the second goal. But, you know, the dominance was there. Arsenal were fully in control. There was nothing at all from Sevilla. There was nothing to worry about from a, a defensive point of view. It was about, could we make the chances? Could we... Could we open them up? And there were some sort of half chances. There was a Gabriel header. I think Ben White curled a shot over the bar. Saka had a free kick over the bar. There was one when Jorginho shot. That went over as well. Mm-hmm. But then the goal that we scored was just, you know, if ever a sequence of play had training ground pattern written all over it, Another way, sometimes you see like a picture that does the rounds on a newspaper and they sort of watermark it with their, their logo, whatever publication it might be. You know, this one should have Mikel Arteta's training ground routine on it. The, the pass from Jorginho. I watched Trossard actually after the game. He was talking to uh, what's it called? TNT Sport, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not BT Sport anymore. TNT Sport. Who cares? Um. But he was asked about the goal and he said, as soon as I saw George Jorginho in that position, I knew the pass he was going to make. And the pass is absolutely brilliant, I have to say. It's really, really perfect. There's a you know, there's a there's a gap there in the Sevilla back line. He threads it through perfectly for Saka. Saka across to Trossard, and I think the finish is, is excellent as well. Completely. I don't think it's controversial to say that when Arsenal are at their best, their most fluid best Gabriella Martinelli and Bukayo Saka are usually at the center of things you know for a variety of reasons that hasn't been able to happen enough this season so it's been nice to see um you know maybe our defeat in Lons aside that this memo hasn't been received by the rest of Europe um because Sevilla just were leaving their fullbacks isolated every time and with space in behind, which I, I, I didn't understand. Um, but like you said, it just felt in that moment that Arsenal were pushing. We'd had a few chances. We were beginning to pepper them. They were beginning to drop deeper. Just needed some finesse, some final ball, you know, execution, some care in the last pass. Then bang, there it was, you know. And I think, look, whatever you think of Jorginho, he can pass a ball. Um, and that was the typical defense splitting pass between center back and full back Saka is on his bike so quickly. And like you said, the movement from Trossard in the middle is also incredibly quick, very sharp. Um, and it's an easy one. They make it look easy, but like you said, that has to be practiced on the training ground so much to be able to get that movement all in sync together, everybody on the same wavelength. And it was just something that we needed in this particular game to say, look, we've had the chances, but now we're serious. You know, Sevilla have offered nothing. We just needed that goal to maybe open the game up a bit. And it was, yeah, perfect. I, I really enjoyed the move. Yeah. I mean, I this is the thing about Jorginho for me is that like, you know, he's got the ability to do that, but he doesn't quite do it enough. And I know as well that, that you know, a player in his position 
is dependent on players ahead of him making those runs and also maybe having the space that he had. Because I think if you do, like, I think his first instinct, and this isn't to be critical either, but his first instinct is security, right? If I've got the ball and there's two guys coming towards me, I'm going to knock it off to somebody who who's in in more space and we can retain possession, right? So a sort of security first um, outlook, which is why I think he's been such an effective player over the years. But that ability to make that pass and and in tandem with some of the discussions that we've had about, can we be a bit more progressive from midfield? I just wonder if we could see, see, see that a little bit more often. Uh, you'd hope so. Um, look, it's not easy, but... I do think what you mentioned there about security being his first thought is is quite clear. He's that type of player. He's the kind of brain on the pitch. He's the metronome, the kind of tactical reference. You know, Arteta's spoken about that a lot before. Even Pep Guardiola tried to sign him. He was a big player under Maurizio Sarri who placed a lot of value in these kind of deep-lying playmakers who can set the tone. So I don't have an issue with security. But I do feel that since he's joined the club, there has been a slight hesitancy to kind of go for those killer passes, especially when we've been sustaining pressure, um, where you'd sometimes look at him to unlock the, uh, or have the key to unlock a game, mm. or that moment where you can say, ah, that's it. You know, we needed some incision and he's got it there. Um, so it just worked perfectly in that moment. The weight of the pass is beautiful. Saka doesn't have to break stride or anything. He's just straight onto it. First time cross into the middle. It's a goal that kind of catches them by surprise, I would say. But just the the kind of the execution was something that was really satisfying to watch as a as a fan. Yeah, agree, agree. And, I, you know, I think what Jorginho Arteta said afterwards, uh, he's so intelligent. He understands everything so quickly. He makes everybody better. I'm really happy with his performance tonight. I do think that there are, you know, Arteta probably sees similarities between the player he became when he mm -hmm. dropped back deeper in midfield and Jorginho. Again, that technical security, that metronomic passing with the ability that Arteta also had. You know, he all, you know, because of his, um, career as like an attacking midfielder and, and the creativity and the goals that he scored, he had the ability to make those passes from deep. And again, you are dependent on players ahead of you, but I think there's something interesting about that Jorginho Arteta dynamic. I'm not sure it's long-term clearly because of Jorginho's age and all the rest of it, but uh, I think he gives the manager some security as well, which is uh, something to consider. I mean, the only moment that Sevilla had in that first half was when uh, I can't remember who went through on goal, but Saliba made oh. just an unbelievable, like he stayed on his feet, stayed on his feet. As, as sure as he, as soon as he was sure that he was going to get the ball, he slid in, knocked the ball back to Raya. Superb defending. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the Sevilla manager standing on the sidelines, waving his arms, going, Falta, Falta, as if, <laughs> as if, my friend, have you not seen William Saliba play in the last 12 months, 18 months? No way is that a foul. It's just a brilliant piece of defending. Yeah, well, I mean, running out of things to, to say about him, to be honest, I mean, there's just such an assurance and composure to the way he plays. And he is so important for us in mm. how we play with our high line. Like you said, that was the only chance Sevilla had until 
was it injury time? Yeah. Um, it was Pedrosa who ran through on right. the field. He just fa- he found a gap and fair play. He went for it. You know, there was a, a lot of initiative in that moment. And he thought, I've got the gap here. I can run into it. And But just Saliba just put the afterburners on and he was such a clear second favorite the whole time. But the way he just eats up ground, you know, and it doesn't even look like he's running particularly quickly, mm. but he's just a machine, you know, and like you said, slid in, knocked it back to Raya and we just go again. He's so clean and assured in everything that he does. And, you know, 88 passes completed at 90% accuracy, four out of four aerial duels one, four out of five ground duels one. I mean, extending his contract was was huge for this club and what they want to achieve with this group. I mean, imagine trying to replace a centre-back who can stride out with the ball, break lines, defend on the halfway line and score weak foot golasos when he feels like it. <laughs> you know, you can't. You, you can't replace that. What, what, what William Saliba do you think Marcel Desailly is uh, is looking at? He says, I don't believe his individual qualities to be above average. This is what he said recently. He's had a very high level, but not extraordinary. I mean, are they watching? He hasn't watched him. He hasn't watched him. You can't have watched. (laughs) You cannot have watched this player and not come away uh, uh, with the conclusion that this this is a very special talent because the defensive instincts, the physical presence, the size... I mean, imagine being a center forward. Imagine being a forward like Pedrosa running through on goal and you take a quick look and there's just this fucking machine running you down like a kind of defensive Terminator nonstop. And you're like, uh, you know, whatever, whatever else, it's going to just slightly put you on edge. Like even if you get the shot away, his mere presence at times can be mm-hmm. sufficient distraction to, to make a cho- uh, make a chance uh, go begging. I just, I don't understand what Desai is on. No, I mean, look, this leaves a sour taste, um, but the comparisons to Rio Ferdinand feel quite accurate, I would say, um, just in the way that they can play with the ball, but also this physical aura that they both possess is just incredible, mm. really. And to be this good at 22 years of age, we've we've got a star on our hands. I've, I've got no doubt about that. For sure. So look, halftime came. There was a change from Arsenal. We were chatting on WhatsApp going, hmm, I wonder is that tactical or I wonder is that an injury and afterwards Mikel Arteta said uh, Tommy Asu was feeling something we hope it's not serious because you know we've we've got more than enough injuries as it is so please no more but he brought Zinchenko on but also Sevilla slightly shifted the way that they were set up in order to I suppose pay some attention to the fact that their their fullback was getting roasted over and over again mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to. It, it wasn't just even reacting to Juanlu. They needed to come out and play because they need a result, you know? And mm. it was just so passive and boring and bland in the first half from them. I mean, they offered nothing, really. And there was a spell where they had some possession at the back just to maybe try and settle things down. And it was just going from centre-back to centre-back. They had no desire to play any forward passes and it was just complete control and domination so Diego Alonso had to try and change something 
Um, I mean, it worked, would... didn't it, to an extent? Because, you know, in the first half, they had less than uh, 30% possession. In the second half, you know, possession was more or less 50-50, 52 to 48 in Arsenal's favour. So they had a bit more of the ball, but they really didn't do anything with it. No, they tried to press a bit, but it was so disjointed. You know, Lamella was going at some point, but then nobody was following. And then and Nasiri was going and he was just getting bullied by uh, Saliba and Gabriel. There was no kind of cohesion in what they wanted to do the whole time. And even with their changes, you know, even then it was so boring. And I was very amused by Bubakari Samari coming on. <laughs> trying to foul Declan Rice and he thought, oh, that's me done for the day. <laughs> you know, his two-minute cameo. I mean, it was just men against boys. Um, and, you know, even if we weren't getting in behind as much or peppering their goal as much in the second half, we were still completely in control of the game. I had no, uh, you know, no inkling that Sevilla were going to give us any trouble mm. in that second half. There was a moment, uh, maybe about five minutes into the um 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes anyway, into the second half where Kai Havertz came very close. And I don't want to really do a whole lot on on him or his performance. You know, as I said in the blog today, I think there have been some signs of life in mm-hmm. the last couple of games where the needle is starting to tick just a little bit and you hope that it keeps going in, in that direction. But that particular moment, you know, it's the first time I can remember since he joined where he actually hit a ball with real conviction and he's unlucky. It went just wide. It would have been a brilliant goal, would have been a a fantastic moment for the team and obviously for him. And that sort of, you know, I know we're coming from a low bar. Like, you know, I'm pleased that he hit the ball hard. It's not really, uh, (laughs) it's not really like a, a stellar 10 out of 10 performance. But if you're looking for like signs of life, as I said, that was one. So slightly unlucky for him, but perhaps just a an indication that that something might be coming from him i'm not like hugely confident but you know things like that just give you a little bit of okay maybe there's something i mean when i did the new signing profile for Arsblog, uh for Arsblog news i went through lots of tape including his time at leverkusen and and floated a theory about him playing from the right hand side i know he was coming in as the kind of left eight shaka replacement in our minds and he you know, obviously started the season in that position but I just think his body mechanics suit that side of the pitch I think he welcomes the ball completely differently it's much more open his first touch is, is more incisive whereas on the left hand side his body position tends to be a bit more closed when receiving the ball which I think can explain a lot of his safe play because I don't think he has the ability, the ability to scan coming from the left hand side so there were signs of life. And I think, look, you need to consider the quality of the opposition. And yes, there were times in this game where he still felt a bit passive. But judging his performance in terms of his actions, there were some of those late runs into the box. There were some nice moments out by the touchline where he was combining with Saka and Ben White. I think he looked more secure technically. And we've spoken about the header that he should have scored. I liked the intention of this chance, really driving into the box and firing a shot into the corner. It was a lot closer than I thought, actually. Mm. Um, I thought it was quite comfortably wide, but having looked at the replay, it just whistled past the post. Um, And I I just want to shake him. You know, come on, you can do it. More of that. I think 
he's such an imposing figure with tons of experience and now there's a real chance for him to stamp himself on this team with all of our injuries and I would just like a bit more bite a bit more initiative in his play but mm. overall I think there there have been some better signs in recent in recent weeks but I just yeah I just want to get him by the shoulders and say you can do it you can do it just please <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I I know he's got the talent, but games have too often passed him by. And I think it's been an interesting time for him coming in on that right side because I think he has looked a bit more alive. But I would just, yeah, a bit more of that because the signs have been there. Mm. I think the Newcastle game helped him. I think the West Ham game helped him. So slowly, slowly we're beginning to see something. It's just about whether he can kind of keep it up. And I'm looking at Burnley this weekend. And I see another opportunity for him there mm. to, to really put himself on a game. Yeah, he's a bit more involved in the last couple of weeks, like three tackles last night more than any other player, three shots last night, which I think is uh, more than any other player as well. No goals, of course. You've got to, you've got to deliver the end product. But uh, I hope, you know, that things like this can sort of help rebuild his confidence and, and, you know, we can see more from him because, you know, given the way injuries are going, uh, we're going to need it from everybody. Now, we talked about Martinelli going outside and Sevilla rejigged. They cut off some of that space. He wasn't necessarily having to deal with Juan Luis, having to deal with um, Bade. Is that the central defender? Yes. Uh, he was having to deal with him a bit more. But what's great about Martinelli is that he has the ability to do it on the outside. He also has the ability to do it on the inside, as we saw for the goal. Um, quick throw from Zinchenko. Martinelli nips ahead of the guy, nicks the ball, drives on, plays it to Bakayo Saka. Still plenty for Bakayo Saka to do in that situation. you know. And after a couple of weeks where he hasn't been quite at his best either, you're looking at this and going, right, can you make the most of this opportunity? And he absolutely did. Um, you know, the defender, I'm not sure. I think they said on TV afterwards, it's a bit like Aryan Robin, where you kind of know what he's going to do, but you can't stop him. <clears throat> you can't stop him doing it. And I think that, you know, it's maybe a little bit unfair to Bakayo Saka because he has the ability to go on his right foot, which Robin very, very rarely did. But on this occasion, chops it back inside. Very, very good finish. Uh, it's 2-0. And, you know, that that combination between our two wingers, you know, we talked about them and how important they were going to be for a result and a performance. And, you know, there it is. I thought he was offside, actually. No, um, yeah, the guy, it, the the deeper guy, yeah, the guy closest to yeah. camera was playing him on, yeah. But in, in real time, it looked like he'd just gone a, a yard or two too early. Um, but yeah, the execution's brilliant. I think he needed this this game because there'd just been a few moments in recent weeks where he'd look at, he'd, he looked a bit tired. He'd carried a few knocks again, as always. Um, and, you know, what a lot of teams do in the Premier League now is they double up on him. So this was a moment where he was able to isolate a winger, one versus one. The defending isn't great. I think it's Pedrosa again. He's too square. He puts too much of his body weight um, onto the right side, trying to chase Saka. But as soon as he cut inside, I just thought this is a goal. You know, he's he's got such strong technique and confidence in the way he can finish from that um, that right side. And this doesn't need to be a slight on Eddie and Ketia because I think... 
the way Sevilla played yesterday definitely played into our hands. But I just think you can see the stylistic difference of what Trossard brings to the team compared to him, where his fluidity of movement, the way he drifts left or right to create overloads, the space that he can vacate, which Saka and Martinelli can then exploit, mm. just give us something. It gives us something extra, you know? It's how we play with Jesus. Our centre forward needs to be a technical and tactical reference point. And I don't think it's unfair to say that those relationships break down slightly, um, especially Martinelli, who has never played well consistently with Enketia, with a more typical centre forward leading our line. Mm. But I just like what Trossard can bring us from that position. And there's no doubt in my mind that Martinelli and Saka were beneficiaries of that yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Trossard spoke on TV afterwards and was asked, like, uh, you know, about his uh, his ability to play in different forward positions. And he said, probably my, I'm paraphrasing, he said, my um, advantage is that I can go on both feet. You know, he's he's comfortable on both feet, on his left and on his right. And I think the movement, because he's more naturally a player who wants to get on the ball than Eddie, yeah. I think that mm -hmm. suits that um, that deployment of him in the centre-forward position. Yeah, completely. And I think you saw there when Trossard maybe came over for the throw-in, Saka was able to, to take that space in a more central zone. It just takes one pass from Martinelli to set him free and... You know, that's mm. what we needed from them. Threaten behind, the ability to isolate them against fullbacks. And I don't know if this will be the case for Burnley again on Saturday, but for me last night, it made total sense to play with Trossard. Um, an assist for Martinelli, a goal and an assist for Saka. It's all you can ask for, really. And speaking of Trossard, yeah, all five of his goals this season across all competitions have been assisted by Bukayo Saka. So... Relationships. relationship yeah, yeah that's a relationship we'd like to exploit yeah um so and also which i thought was interesting another stat five of trossard's six goals for arsenal have either been the opening goal of the game or an equalizer which shows that he he kind of brings a lot of value in sure when how he is scoring goals yeah i mean he's he's sort of been a little bit quiet when he starts sometimes, you know, the the sort of perception of him as somebody who's more effective off the bench, you know, is maybe a little unfair because I think it's his quality that makes him good off the bench and his ability to get into the into the pace of a game and get up to speed in a game very quickly, which not everyone can do. So it's a good it's a good uh, trait to have as a footballer, but maybe when he starts, he's not quite as effective. And I think in this game, he really was. He was very lively. Um, the goal was tucked away very nicely. His movement was excellent. And that relationship with Bukayo Saka, you know, if I am Mikel Arteta and I don't have Partey and Odegaard, and if Partey and Odegaard affects the relationship between Saka and Ben White, for example, which I think it does a little bit, and... Mm -hmm. Tommy Asu and Martinelli aren't quite on the same wavelength at times. Like really early in the game, Tommy Asu made a run in behind and he was looking for the pass from Martinelli. He didn't get it and he was really not happy about it, you know? And I'm not saying Martinelli ignored him uh, and he didn't do anything wrong with the ball, but those relationships that we talk about as, as very effective um, are are something you kind of need to lean into. So if you're looking for ways to open up a team, if you know that Saka and Trossard have got that thing going on, then 
you know that's that's something that's something good to have in your back pocket. Um, like we said, Sevilla didn't have a shot until the ninety seventh minute, something like that, and it was a relatively routine save for for David Raya. I mean, were you at all surprised at how? I mean, how much do you put their ineffectiveness down to how well we played, and how much would you put down to just how? poor they were maybe how poor or strange team selection was you know you get someone like Rakitic and you bring him off the bench and he's effective and he makes your team immediately more cohesive I know that they brought Sumare on and then he had to go off because mm-hmm. he hurt himself fouling Rice and all the rest of it but you know where's where's your where's your balanceometer on that one Look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Sevilla are a, are a great team. I think they're in a difficult moment with a new manager who clearly had a plan um, coming into the game to be defensively secure, kick us around a bit, be physical. But the plan was so completely and utterly different from the execution. And I think Diego Alonso needs to take some responsibility for that because you either do one thing or the other and they did neither, mm. you know? And I think maybe it would have left them a bit more susceptible defensively, but they have some talented players to be a bit more offensively inclined. And they just had wingers as their forwards. Lamella couldn't get into the game. They had three defensive midfielders playing in, you know, Fernando, Gibraltar, um, and who was the other one? I think it was uh, Joan Jordan. You know, so there's mm. no real incision or craft in that midfield, and they were there to just solely stop Arsenal. That being said, I thought it was a really strong performance from us. It was a performance where we smelled blood early on and really looked to assert ourselves on the game. I think it was clear very early on that we were the better team. And what I loved was not only our sort of freedom and incisiveness in an, in an attacking sense where we, we were able to get our threats in behind in terms of Martinelli, in terms of Saka, you know, Trossard was there linking everything together. But when Sevilla did have the ball, we just suffocated them mm. completely. They couldn't get out anywhere. Tomiyasu was pressing deep into their, into their half. Ben White was pushing deep into their half. I have to say again, I thought Declan Rice was brilliant and we don't speak about it because it's just become so normal well i was going to ask you about it because we talked about william saliba and just how good he is and i was going to ask you about his his uh, comments afterwards where he was asked if he prefers playing six or eight and mm-hmm. he said i think my best position is probably six that's where i feel more comfortable as an eight i do get a bit excited to dribble with the ball obviously when i'm playing there it's my job to try and create but that's not my biggest strength my biggest strength is breaking up play taking the ball from deep trying to dictate but every time Mikel says you're playing eight i do get excited because i get to make those runs into the box i get to run with the ball i get to show the other side of my game which is really good and at the moment we're so short with injury so he is being he is being asked to play there. Those driving runs forward are obviously very eye-catching. There was one in particular where we got to the edge of the box and I was like, just go for it. Just get yeah. in there and just, you know, have a go. Instead, I think he played a little pass outside to uh, to Martinelli. But what stands out for me is the is the engine. And when the opposition have the ball, and in particular when they get the ball, his first thought is like, fuck off. 
this is our ball. I'm going to get it back. And even in the 90th minute, there was one oh, 90th minute or towards injury time, maybe in injury time, where the ball broke in midfield and he just charged back, took possession, kept it moving. And it's just so unbelievably impressive that he has the legs and the stamina and the willingness to do that kind of running in the 92nd minute when the game is won. You know, I think that's just part and parcel of who he is. I mean, what an addition he's been for us. I think he's made such a difference to our play off the ball. Um, and how nice is it to watch a midfielder sprint and not worry or not have to worry about his thigh muscle exploding? You know, it's just he is such a physical specimen. There was one incident in particular, I think it was maybe midway through the first half, where he won a duel that he had no right to win. It was a bouncing ball uh, on around halfway. Um, and I think there were two severe players around it, but he just came in, towed the ball away, put one of the severe players on his ass and set us off again. Yeah, And it was just like, he wins balls that he has no right to win. And it's just, there are so many incidents in every game where I just think, how has he done that? Yeah. Um, you know, and even in the lead up to the, into the opening goal, mm -hmm. he just, he just stiff armed Eric Lamella, took his lunch money and he was the one that gave it to Jorginho yeah. before the pass. And it's just like, man, what a player. He's so impressive. You know? and yeah. it's, it's, it's what I said before. He's just managed to raise his level, but also become so consistent that we don't speak about it because it's just something we accept and how often you know we were cursed with the 72 million pound nicola pepe has anyone mentioned his price since he came in i feel like we should probably throw west ham another 20 million just to be fair <laughs> you know if you want to be <laughs> proper class you know do things the right way um it's unbelievable it really is uh He's just so, he just makes a yeah. huge difference in how we can I mean, suffocate teams. Exactly. You know, and it's, I'm not scared about any any counterattacks anymore, mm, you know? And I, he's just such a leader, such a strong personality. And I think, look, you can debate whether we've been able to replace Granit Xhaka effectively on the pitch um, with Kai Havertz and a few other players, which, you know, haven't quite been so effective yet this season. But I think in terms of his leadership his stature mm. his presence it's been seamless it's been absolutely seamless with Declan Rice yeah I think the you know if you're an Arsenal player you must love playing with Declan Rice if I'm you know as good as William Saliba is and as good as Gabrielle is and as good as Ta Tommy Asu is and as good as those partnerships are and that back four are to have somebody like that ahead of you is just unbelievable. It just gives you such a, a, a platform. Um, I'm sort of lost for words about how good he is. And I'm, you know, I thought he was a good player before he joined Arsenal. And I've been surprised at the, the levels to his game. And I hope as this season goes on, we continue to see to see more of those and more of those emerge. And I think you make a really good point about the leadership, about that sort mm -hmm. of dressing room presence on pitch presence that that maybe we have lost with with Shaka leaving um before we move on the other game in the group uh 1-0 win for uh for PSV Eindhoven over Lons so it leaves the group kind of open a bit 
but mm-hmm. uh, we're still in a good position. Sevilla bottom of the group, then Lons, then PSV. Um, and the next uh, the next game, I think, is... Lons uh, at home. Is Lons at home, is it? Yeah, it is, towards the, the end of November. So, you know, mm-hmm. a chance to wrap things up there. Yep. You'd think so, and you'd hope so. Um, look, obviously, there, there was a potential uh, chance for us to qualify yesterday, but... I think at home you'd expect us to, to take care of business. It won't be an easy game. I think Lons have shown themselves to be a good side in mm. this group. They are defensively secure, have some good players up front that can cause problems. But with qualification on the line, I think at home you'd expect Arsenal to win. And if we can just keep these injuries to a minimum, I know there's an international break coming now, which can hopefully be a good thing for us. Um, but to be able to qualify with one game to spare and, you know, going away to PSV, that would just be um, a nice security blanket, yeah. you know, because if we have to go away and, and maybe need something, that's when things can get a bit sticky, you know, no matter who you're playing in Europe. Yeah. So just sort of an overall assessment of the Arsenal performance. I said to somebody this morning, like, I feel like if 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 last year's team was one with kind of youthful abandon, you know, this year's team feels a bit more adolescent. You know, we're growing into ourselves. We're maturing. We're maybe not quite as flamboyant as we were, but we're certainly more controlled. We certainly um, are capable of nullifying most teams. And, you know, when we talked maybe before the Newcastle game, you know, I said we're a difficult team to beat, and as it turns out, you know, you can only beat Arsenal if you if you get given a goal that should never have been given while you've got eleven men on the pitch when you should have ten and all the rest of it, right? So, I think this is the kind of performance that Mikel Arteta will really like. But maybe in two months or three months' time, it's the kind of performance based on the domination that you have of the ball and territory and the areas in which you have the ball that you're looking at it being a bit more than a 2-0 win. And that's not to be greedy, but it's just to try and look at the next step uh, for this team and where it can go. I, I've always thought that this this team lacked that last bit of extra edge to really step on the jugular. You know, I think we've had big wins under Mikel Arteta, but I, I have also seen us comfortable with... 25, 20 minutes to go and and not really push for more goals. And I'm not sure if that's a uh, instruction from Arteta or more of the team just kind of preparing to manage games. He spoke quite honestly on on TNT Sports before the game about how he wants us to be more incisive as an, as an attacking unit, but also explained how if he could play every minute in the opposition half, he would. You know, so I think it's been about the evolution of this team being able to find a balance between controlling games, being mature in in how we give up chances, but also not letting that affect our attacking vibe and abandon, you know, which I think was so exciting to watch last year. And it was what what made us so special, particularly in that pre-World Cup stage where we topped the league. You know, we were just playing such amazing high-intensity football. So I think it's been... It's been a journey um, and I don't think we can ignore the effect that injuries have had on this team yeah. because, you know, 
it's been such a stop-start season. Players haven't been able to develop relationships. There have been different lineups almost every week, you know, so maybe those natural automatisms don't have a chance to develop as efficiently because one week it's um, Eddie up front, one week it's Trossard on the left, another week it's, you know, Erdegaard as the right eight, another week it's, you know, uh, Fabio Vieira coming in. So we haven't really had a chance to settle. Whereas last year, you know, we could say the first 11 every week with our eyes closed. It was the same every mm. week. So I don't think we can ignore that, but I do think there have been a little or a few issues in our play, but I, I'm also willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, I've seen us do it. I know we can do it. And I think this is just the next evolution in us as a team, particularly playing in Europe where maybe we'll, we will need to be a bit more sensible. Mm. Um, but in terms of the element of control that we can exert on games, I think that's been extremely clear. Yeah. You know, apart from that one game where we caught Lons on an extremely good night and we were maybe five or 10% below our normal levels, we've been extremely assured. And I think you just need to add that little bit of maturity in your performances in Europe because teams can punish you, mm -hmm. you know? And I think hopefully now injuries can be kept to a minimum. We can really start to find ourselves, find a consistent, uh, find a consistent 11, sorry, yeah. um, to really take that next step in an attacking sense. I think the, 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 the positive thing, you know, is that we can put in a performance like that against Sevilla, who I expected to be better. And I think they were poor, but you know, you can only play against who you're playing against on the night, but we did it without Martin Odegaard, without Thomas Partey, without Emile Smith-Rowe, without Gabriel Jesus, who let's not forget was the difference maker in in the uh, away game. Uh, no jury in Timber, who's, you know, because we didn't see enough of him, I think he kind of gets overlooked a little bit in terms of his absence. No Eddie, who's yep. played a lot this season. So with all those absences, to be able to play as well as we did and to, to get the result that we did, and to, you know, to do it without being in trouble, with no drama, no hassle, no nonsense, all of it was very pleasing, a good way to get back to winning ways. Unlike, it has to be said, Manchester United last night. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Here we go. I was go. waiting when you were going to chime that in. Yeah, the perfect segue. I mean, w what did you make of some of the decisions in, in this game? Because... We had a little bit of a chat last night on, on WhatsApp about the Rashford red card, and I think we differ slightly on this one in that you think it's it's harsh, and I can see why, because there's clearly no intent. But when you see the replay, he does, in his effort to shield the ball, throw his leg out quite far. It's not like near the ball itself. He's just trying to move his body. The unfortunate thing is the Sevilla guy gets in the way, like applying my rule of thumb to this, like if an Arsenal player did that, I'd be like, oh, fuck, that's 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 going to be a red card. And I think if somebody had done that to Bakayo Saka or if somebody had done that to Gabriel Martinelli, I think we'd all be screaming for a red card. It is unfortunate, but I do think it's a red card. Yeah, I, I've gone back and forth on it. I have to say it did it did feel harsh at the time. And it still does a little bit, I have to say, because look, I can understand why it's given because the contact is, is really nasty. Um, the studs go down on the ankle. Um, his foot is planted. It's, it's a dangerous one. 
And I know intent doesn't always need to be present in these cases, but in my view, it was an accident. Um, and I think he was trying to shield the ball. I, I don't know. I think I would have been quite upset if that was an Arsenal player getting sent off. Mm. Um, but also, we've already been screwed over enough this season, so I, I'm not going to cry about it happening to United. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit harsh in my view. But just very funny because it triggered a, an incredible collapse. <laughs> well, I mean, it was 2-0 to United at that point. And then within a about a minute, it was 2-1. And then there were two penalties where... Mm-hmm. I feel like at some point this is going to be a discussion that we're going to have. What did you make of the penalty awarded to FC Copenhagen? It's stupid. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, I'm not Harry Maguire's biggest fan or anything like that. But, I mean, that that was absurd to me. Similarly, the one that Manchester United got at the other end. It's just like, okay, the ball hit his hand. But, you know, the the handball thing is just... uh, it's a nightmare to navigate, isn't it? Because you could just you just don't know. I mean, the one at the end of our game, when Fabio Vieira, like they didn't show a definitive replay on it, but no. it was uh, like my heart was like, oh fuck, this is Champions League. They give handballs for all kinds of things in 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 Europe. This is going to be a penalty, and then it was like, oh, check complete. So maybe they had a better angle than we did, but it was just the way that it came at him and the movement of his arm. Um, I was worried about it because these are the kinds of decisions that you see given in the Champions League. Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous. And the threshold for giving handball is just so low, you know, for something that can have such a big effect on a game. You know, a penalty is your greatest chance to score in, in football. And we're giving teams this opportunity from incidents that happen in crowded penalty areas from set pieces and it just seems crazy to me what i will say is that they are incredibly consistent in how they give handballs Mm. which is i guess in one way good but just the threshold for them being given in my opinion is ridiculous i mean the copenhagen one uh you know the one that's given as a foul um, for United to get a penalty is just crazy to me. Mm. The guy, the guy's jumping for the ball. He goes over his head. His arm is just slightly out of, of his, his natural body line. Maguire heads it down. It hits him on the arm and they give it. And yeah. it's just like, there's no reason that that should be a penalty. Um, but I, I kind of expected them to give it because the, first of all, they gave the first one. But also, like you said, they just give them so willy-nilly and freely in in Europe. And, you know, I can't complain too much because the the incident itself gave me an extreme amount of joy because (laughs) Bruno Fernandes scoring the penalty led to Alejandro Garnacho shushing the FC Copenhagen crowd. <laughs> you shot your bolt too soon there, pal. Which which left a brilliant still image. Mm. Um, and that's that's a situation I think he'll learn from. 
because he just looked so incredibly stupid. You know, there was that picture of him shushing the crowd and then at full time he was kind of sat on his haunches on the ground being patted on the back by a United member of staff. <laughs> you know, fuck that guy um, yes. and his weird teeth. Um, but yeah, what happened afterwards was just amazing. Very, you can very always funny. rely on yeah. United this season to just keep the good vibes going. You know, long it's, may it's it last. Long may yeah. it last. Some terrible, terrible defending for the uh, for the oh, two Dallow. goals. Dallow at the back post. Oh my goodness! I think he was thinking about his grocery list or something, something. because he just was so unaware yeah. of the guy coming in behind him. But also, where's the communication? Why is nobody telling him that there's a guy behind him? Well, I mean, he saw him side. for the for the equalizer. He definitely saw him because he had a look and then sort of got dragged in and then, uh, I don't know, does he have the memory of a goldfish? 0.2 of a second. <laughs> he just forgot that the guy was behind him. And the, the winner, you know, the, the, the criminal turning your back on the shot situation. But like you say, from our point of view, it's extremely funny. And uh, yeah, long may this kind of shit last. And I, I don't think we can go, Phil, without just taking a moment to doff our cap to our friends in Dortmund who beat Newcastle 2-0, uh, left Newcastle bottom of that group. It is a very tight group, in fairness. Newcastle mm -hmm. bottom with four, uh, Milan and uh, Milan on five, PSG on six, and Dortmund on seven. So it's a very tightly uh, situated group, but it's very funny to see that happen to Newcastle after, uh, after what we just went through with them. Um, yeah, I don't know what Eddie Howe was watching, but he must have seen something uh, that I didn't see. Um, <laughs> prick. Um, you know, yeah, always like Borussia Dortmund. Great bunch of lads down there at the Signal Iduna Park. You know, it's it's always good. They still have a chance to qualify, which is annoying, but it's kind of an uphill battle. I think they will feel confident with their home fixtures, to be honest, mm -hmm. as always. But it's... Um, yeah, it's not easy, and and the it's called it was the group of death. So, yeah. fingers crossed that can that can be the end of their their hopes. And you know, I think on the night, Bayern qualified for the knockout stages. Real Madrid, um, Inter qualified as well, and then I think it was RB Leipzig and Man City who qualified on Tuesday night. Mm. So, you know, a decent decent level already going through. Um. And hopefully we can be there in the, in the next week, yep. the next match week. Hopefully, hopefully. All right. Well, look, we had better leave it there. Phil, thank you for uh, struggling through. Um, <laughs> none of the listeners can see the amount of times that we've had to put ourselves on mute to either cough or sneeze and all the rest of it. So, Or the one time that I didn't. Well, I've cut that out. I will cut that out. <laughs> so don't worry. Nobody needs to hear that. I promise you. Go get a sip, Feel better. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. And, and see you on the next one. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Phil. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa. Right, we are going to leave it there for this week's show. Thank you so much, as always, for being with us. Of course, we will have our usual Premier League preview podcast for you over on Patreon uh, tomorrow afternoon as we look ahead to our game against Burnley, after which there is, of course, an interlull again. But hey, let's hope we can take three points going into that one and uh, get some bodies back, perhaps, uh, for the games that come up after the international break. If you want to listen to that, if you're not already a member, you can get instant access to everything that we do on Patreon, uh, as well as supporting everything that we do on Arsblog too. Uh, for about a five or a month, sign up at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. For now, take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. A little later, we will be talking to Gary Neville 
about the standard of officiating and VAR in the Premier League. He has some very, very significant concerns about decisions that have been made in games that reflect poorly on the quality of the league and the referees themselves. Yes? I'm live on air, yes? I see. I see. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I understand. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. And later this hour, we'll be talking to Gary Neville, who has absolutely no concerns about the standard of refereeing at all. He thinks it's perfectly fine. And indeed, the big problem is managers complaining about bad decisions in games, not the bad decisions themselves. Unless, of course, it's a decision that goes against Manchester United, in which case he'll be all over Twitter bleating about it like the little cunt he is. Yes. Yes, I did. And I would do it again. Certainly. I'll clear out my desk. No regrets! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 